I'm John uh, Crosby. I'm one of the pastors on team. And uh, as a matter of fact, I've been here for about 100 days. That first 100 days uh, feels like it's flown by. Here, we have gone through so much uh, together. And it's been for me a joy to see the way that God has been working at Menlo, even in hard times. My sense is that we have been going through this time rather than trying to jump over it. And the conversations that have been hard or even painful about our past and what's happening now, I believe will set us up for a better future. So since I've been listening hard uh, for a couple months, I thought it'd be helpful for us to get together and I'm offering two different Zoom meetings uh, next week. Uh, where I can share with you for about 10 or 15 minutes what I've been hearing, and, and then for the rest of the time, you can share with me what you've been feeling and thinking about what's happened in the past and where we're heading and what God might have ahead for Menlo. We're going to put the, the links uh, to those gatherings on our website, and I think they're probably going to show something uh, on the screen, but I just wanted to make sure that you knew that we were in this together and that our God is going ahead of us all. Before we preach, let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have uh, given us the sense that you go before us and you walk behind us to pick us up and that wherever we are, you are close by. I pray that during this time where we listen to your word, you will speak to us through your spirit and that it'll go from our head to our hearts and out through our hands into this community. Bless us in your great name. Amen. You know, this, is a, this has been a season of my life that's been different, leaving a church of 30 years. And part of that has been that I increasingly think about legacy what you've done that matters, what people will think of you. And I wonder if that might not be the case uh, for you uh, as well. Uh, Sometimes that legacy comes in sharp focus. When you go to a graveyard and you see the headstones, you you look over here and, and you see, here is Barry Betcher. Remember that name? Barry Betcher. You would if we threw this screenshot up of uh, the Ginsu knife. Remember the commercials for the Ginsu knife that could do 40 different things? And for just this week, you can get two for the price of one. And then Barry Betcher would say, but wait. And then what would the next line be? But wait, there's more. That was Barry Betcher's line. But wait, there's more. And on Barry Betcher's headstone, his family put Barry Betcher and his dates And then it said, but wait, there's more. That's his legacy, a hope for a better uh, future. A real contrast, frankly, uh, to this one that I found in in Spanish. Aquí está Pancrasio González. Buen esposo, buen padre, mal electricista casero. That, that, That means, of course, here lies Pancrasio González a good husband, a great father, a terrible amateur electrician. His legacy, right there. Sometimes you have to think about him for a little while 
uh, the case with Ezekiel Abel. It says, Ezekiel Abel, 102 years old, only the good die young. I wouldn't want that for my legacy. What will be yours? What will people think about you? What are they thinking about right now in terms of legacy? And today, I'd like to talk about that part of our life that is generous or not. Do you have a legacy of generosity? We talk about that in terms of money and will today, but but generosity extends to the fact that you choose to serve or not. You choose to be kind to the people that nobody else notices or not. That's, That's generosity. If you have a passion for those with no power, you have a generous legacy. Uh, But most often in our world, it's about money, isn't it? And Christians tend to think, oh, the poor people are so good. They're blessed by God. Uh, The rich people, and sometimes rich people get a bad rap. Their legacy is bad, but that's not a biblical view. In the Old Testament, Joseph and Abraham are people of great wealth who are blessed. In In the New Testament, we see how God turns around Zacchaeus, who still remains a wealthy man, and his legacy is changed. And of course, there's Barnabas, who is such an encouraging rich man that he gives a field to support the early church. There are rich women who make the ministry of Jesus possible. Too often, I'm afraid, we take those people who have real means and we make them either feel guilty or manipulated. I have a friend who says, this is the first church I've ever come back to because I don't feel when I'm here like I'm a checkbook with legs. It can be complicated, sorting out the legacy of people who have means. And I gotta tell you, I think it's not just for old folks. It's not just for folks like me who are looking back. I think every single day, whether you're young or old, you're creating your legacy. You are deciding whether you are becoming more generous or more about you. And what I wanna do today is look at a a legacy of generosity. Now, I've I've done uh, literally hundreds of funerals and memorial services, not nearly as many as Frank, of course, who's in the thousands. But at each one of these, there is talk about the legacy of the person who's involved. If I die before you do, I want you to know this, that at my memorial service, I have a passage picked out already that I am praying will become part of my legacy. It's it's part of uh, maybe the oldest story in the scriptures. And it's somebody whom you don't think of as a generous, wealthy person, but that's at the core uh, of the story. This is the book of Job. When you think of Job, you just think, this is the guy with the worst luck in the Bible. You don't want to stand next to Job in a lightning storm, but there's much more to his life. There's his legacy. Listen with me to the legacy of Job. From chapter 29. How I long for the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone on my head and by his light I walked through the dark. Oh, for the days of my prime, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house, 
when the Almighty was with me and my children were near, when my path was drenched with cream and the rock itself poured out streams of oil. A good time. Job says, when I went to the gate of the city and took my seat in the square, the young saw me and they stepped aside and the old rose to their feet. The chiefs were silent and they waited for me to speak. And this, here, this is the part I want for my legacy. Whoever heard me spoke well of me and those who saw me commended me because I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless with no one to help. The dying blessed me, and I made the widow's heart to sing. I love that. And this. I put on righteousness as my robe, and justice was my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. This is my verse. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked, and I snatched the victims from their teeth. I love that. I want so much for people to think of my life in those terms, and I want it to be for you, too. I want us to get into this game. So when we talk about the legacy of Job and generosity, I I want you to remember two things. The, The first is that Job's legacy should not be confused with Job's reputation, and, and neither should yours. It, it says, the young saw me, and they stepped back. The aged stood up, and the princes stopped talking. They called me blessed, and they approved. That's his reputation. But reputations come and go. As a matter of fact, at the start of chapter 30, the very next words, it says, but now they scoff and they look away. The same people who admire Job now go about wondering, what's he done wrong that God's done this to him? Don't make it about your reputation. Make it about your legacy. I I learned something about legacy from a friend of mine, Dale, at at Christ Presbyterian. Uh, Dale was a person of means. And uh, I had preached some sermon about generosity or giving. And, and as he walked out the door, he shook my hand. He said, hey, that was great. Uh, if you ever need a little extra in the plate, give me a buzz. And I said, thank you. Glad that it had struck him. Um, but several months later, our church was in the middle of an experience uh, with, with a little boy named Michael. Michael Omikin. Now, most of you have heard of the disease of osteoporosis, where our bones literally get thinner and it's easier for them to break. Michael was born with exactly the opposite. He had something called osteopetrosis. Remember Peter? Peter is the rock. Well, osteopetrosis is when your bones condense and thicken and harden, and it actually squeezes down so that the veins are cut off. It's almost inevitably uh, fatal, and uh, and he was dying. As a matter of fact, for uh, for almost a year, the Omicans brought him to church in a little wagon, and they pulled the wagon through the church because he couldn't walk, and he had gotten so heavy that his parents couldn't keep holding him. And I'd walk by, and I'd kiss his forehead. He went blind, but when I'd kiss him, he'd go, Om. That was me. I was Om. 
And, uh, and then he got really sick and he had to go to the children's hospital and the Ronald McDonald house next to it was full. So I remembered my friend, Dale. And I called him and I said, hey, Dale, um, you think it'd be possible to uh, help me rent one of the apartments next to the children's hospital? The Omicans live far away and they can't do this. And he says, don't even think about it. He says, how long? I said, well, I, I don't know, maybe three months. It's like a, you know, a thousand bucks a month. And the next morning on my desk when I got there was a check for $5,000, just with his signature. So I used it and we, we rented the apartment and, and Michael was beloved and he lasted longer, three months, four, five, six months. And at the end of four months, I walked into my office and there was another check for $5,000. Because as a church, we had been praying for Michael and so I knew he was still alive. And then I got up one day and I talked about how Michael had died. And at the worship service that marked his little life, the place was packed. Uh, and it was as much to support his parents and his family as it was for, for little Michael. And I, I looked out doing this, and I, I bragged about the congregation. I said, you loved him. You picked him up even when it was hard. You changed his diaper. You gave his mom an hour of rest every week. You loved like Jesus loves. Some of you even reached out and helped the Omakin family financially. That, that's thank you. And I, I finished, sat down, and as, as we all left at the end, I looked over, uh, and in the back rows, there was Dale. So I, I, I wandered over toward him, and he gets up, and he starts to head out, and I look, and I get close, and I look, and he's just, he's just crying, this, this rocky-faced man. And uh, I said, uh, pull him off the side, I said, hey, Dale, I just, I didn't want to use your name, but thanks. And he turns to me and he's crying and he says, I never knew. I never knew what a privilege it would be to do that. That's the legacy of generosity. Not your reputation, not whether you're successful or you can only put 10 bucks in the plate. It's the heart. It's what God does through what you have given. Legacy is about lives that are being changed. There's and, and yours too. That's generosity. The, the second way that we confuse Job's legacy with generosity is when we think that, that if you give generously, you will be blessed. I'm so thrilled that Menlo is not a health and wealth church, but I am concerned that we not confuse our legacy of generosity with being blessed. Job 29. In the days of my prime, God's intimate friendship blessed my house, and the Almighty was with me, and the kids were near, and my path was drenched with cream, and the rock poured out streams of oil. Is that how Job's generosity was blessed? I don't think so. I, I think whether we're wealthy or middle class, Real blessings come when things go bad, not good. When uh, our material blessings are accompanying our giving, then it's just tipping or tithing. I'm not sure it's generosity yet. It's bad times that show what we really believe, not when it's convenient. We're not trying to bribe God or impress other people. Blessing comes when we give when it doesn't help us. 
Blessing comes in a deeper connection with the faces and the lives of the people who are broken that we help. Henri Nouwen calls it the wounded healer. God blesses wounded healers. And Job, with all his sorrows, is now better able to identify with the poor that he helped, with the widow that he comforted, because he now is wounded. He's a wounded healer. This came home for me when I was... um, I, we took our two little girls, they're 35 and 33 now, but we took them when they were 10 years old, one by one, to a third world country. And I took Katie, our eldest, to Guatemala. She was all excited, and uh, we swam in the pool the first night, and the next day we go out into Guatemala City, and we deliberately visited the dump because World Vision had set up a, a, a little house for moms to leave their children just literally outside the fence of the dump so that they would be safe. And and our church had volunteered and brought them playground equipment, but you couldn't put the playground equipment on the street or it'd be stolen, so we put the playground up on the roof of this house. And we took Katie up there so she could see the, the gifts that we had given, and we looked together out into the dump. Now, Katie is our child who is so independent at 10, she acted like she was 30. And yet as we look out into the dump, she comes closer to me and her little hand comes into mine and we see a little child fighting with a bird for a scrap. Can't tell if it's clothing or food, but they're having a tug of war, this vulture and this little kid on top of a mound of garbage and Katie looks up to me, she goes, Daddy. That's when I knew we were serious, it was Daddy. Daddy, God didn't mean for Adam and Eve to live in a dump, did he? I've got to do something about that. That is a legacy of a heart that leads to generosity. I want my legacy and your legacy to be people of ridiculous, joyful, intentional generosity. I broke the fangs of the wicked and I snatched the victims from their teeth. I want you to do that. We are in a broken world in an eternal battle. The Apostle Paul says to the church at Corinth, you know, if it's just for this life, we're crazy to act like this. But if there is a God, if there is eternity, We are building a legacy that lasts forever. And it starts here. It starts now, wherever you are. The high point of the book of Job is in chapter 19, right? That's the one you probably know. After he is tortured and after he has lost everything, Job is called on to curse God and he said, no, I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the end, on the last day, he'll stand on the earth and my flesh may be destroyed, but with my eyes, I will see God, and God will see us. I believe that just as we saw those gravestones, God sees us, and we will stand in front of Jesus someday. I don't think Jesus is going to say thumbs up or thumbs down because of how many World Vision kids you sponsored or how much you threw in the plate or how many wells were dug. I, I believe that Jesus will save us by grace because we've asked for forgiveness and he loves us. But I also believe 
that Jesus loves to hear the stories. That story I told about Dale, he's up in heaven whacking Peter going, that's what I'm talking about. He loves to hear the stories of those who speak up for us like they spoke up for Job. My friend Dale has at least one great story. What's what's yours? The best rationale I ever heard for generosity and a legacy of faithfulness came from a guy named Andrew Natsios. Natsios was responsible for saving the Big Dig, that project that went wrong in Boston. And then he was asked to join the State Department and run the U.S. Agency for International Development, how we give away our foreign money. And he was being interviewed by the Congress. And somebody said, why, uh, why do you want to do this? And, and Natsios spoke to me. He looked into the camera and he spoke to me and he says, my calling from God is to put the hands of the poor who are at risk into the hands of the rich who are at risk and watch God bless both. That was his calling and I wanted to become my calling to put the hands of the rich at risk into the hands of the poor at risk and watch God bless both with generosity. What's your legacy? Let me leave you with one more picture that we'll put up on the screen. This this old man that's turned sideways was probably the most famous scientist in the world at one time in in the 19th century. Uh, He was actually buried in the cathedral at Notre Dame uh, for decades while his family sorted out his dying wishes. And then he was taken to the family plot and buried alone in a place that is hard to find and all the honors he had, and all the wealth that he accumulated, and all the fame he had, were just forgotten. And his tombstone is very different. I'm talking about Louis Pasteur, uh, the inventor of vaccination and inoculation, who saved a child that everybody thought he was killing. He, Young Joseph Meister got sick, and he inoculated him against the disease, and he recovered and became an example of a whole new kind of science. It rocketed Pasteur to fame. But when he died, he said, this is what I want on my headphone, on my headstone. This is my legacy. And as you see here, at the gravestone of Louis Pasteur are not all those accolades. It's one phrase. It's Joseph Meister lived. That's his legacy. That's what God did through the generosity of Pasteur. Through him, God gave life. I believe God wants to give life through your generosity. And let that be the legacy of our God through you. Bless you with joy today. Amen.